Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters weekly podcast, where we casually ramble on about important topics, including the markets, the economy, human ingenuity, and almost anything under the sun, giving you the keys to unlock the mysteries of the markets and investing. Today is Friday, August 4th, 2023. I'm Brian Peterangelo, and welcome to the podcast. And with me today, I'd like to introduce our panel of investing experts here to provide their insights on this week's market activity and more. George Mateo, Chief Investment Officer, Steve Haight, Head of Equities, and Rajiv Sharma, Head of Fixed Income. As a reminder, a lot of great content is available on key.com slash wealth insights, including updates from our Wealth Institute on many different subjects, and especially our Key Questions article series addressing a relevant topic for investors each Wednesday. In addition, if you have any questions or you need more information, please reach out to your financial advisor. Taking a look at this week's economic news, we have economic data on manufacturing and services, but we also have information on jobs, so we'll cover both of those today with our update and with our panel. On the PMI side, with Purchasing Managers Index data, we see the manufacturing side of the economy is actually slowing and continues to contract month over month. On the other side, we see the services economy has also been expanding on a consecutive basis month over month. So we're getting a little bit of two stories on the overall services versus manufacturing economy, and we'll continue to watch both. On the jobs front, we've got a couple reports. Earlier in the week, the JOLTS report from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, otherwise known as the Jobs Opening and Labor Turnover Survey report, showed that the jobs opening remained consistent with the prior month at roughly 9.6 million. So there's still demand for employees out there. Just yesterday, initial weekly unemployment claims remain consistent, so we won't necessarily cover that one today. But more importantly, just this morning, the overall employment situation from the Bureau of Labor Statistics had a number of data points that we'll cover and also get reaction from our panel. First, new non-farm payrolls increased at 187,000 for the month, which was slightly below expectations, and also a decline from the prior month at roughly 209,000, which is showing consecutive month-over-month declines, even though they are still positive in terms of new non-farm payrolls. The overall unemployment rate remained low at 3.5%, which was one-tenth down from last month at 3.6%. And average hourly earnings increased a little bit higher than expectations at 0.4% month-over-month and 4.4% year-over-year, where we'll talk about that continuing demand for labor. So before we get our uh, panel's reaction to that economic data, we'll talk about the big event this week, which was Fitch Ratings downgrade of the United States Treasury or the debt for our overall company from AAA to AA+. So we'll start with Rajiv to get his reaction, then get everyone else from George and Steve as well, in terms of what does this mean, what did Fitch do, and what are the implications for all of the markets and the economy? Yeah, so you know, uh, this week, uh, Fitch uh, did downgrade the United States uh, from their AAA rating to AA. And uh, there were a couple of factors behind this. I mean, uh, Fitch had alluded to this a couple of months ago. We actually put a key questions article out a few months ago uh, that was talking about what the rating downgrade would mean and what how it would affect bonds in your portfolio. Uh, you know, what's interesting about the downgrade is, you know, we're going from AAA to AA, and, but the real rationale behind why Fitch downgraded the U.S., uh, you know, they've been looking at uh, all the political battles that are happening in the nation and it's been this repeated uh, standoff during the uh, concern about the debt limit. Uh, both parties always reaching a political impasse. And even though the, the latest impasse, legislative impasse was resolved, it's still a potential issue of concern going forward. And we all know that the debt price, uh, the debt limit uh, discussions continue to be uh, a point of contention. 
and it, it seems like this legislative impasse shows up every few months. And I think Fitch finally said, you know, that there's, it's just continuing to be a battle uh, to kind of get things done. And so they downgraded the U.S. The U.S. is now rated AA plus by Fitch. Uh, it's one step below AAA. It's still a stable outlook on the country. Uh, if you want to compare it to the other rating agencies, uh, Moody's has them uh, currently. U.S.'s uh, sovereign debt is AAA rated. It's the top rating. Uh, S&P rating right now for the United States is a AA plus. Again, one notch below the top tier. Uh, they had removed, uh, they had actually downgraded, S&P had actually downgraded uh, the United States back in uh, 2011. And again, and it was due because of the debt ceiling crisis. So, you know, we've seen a lot of political uh, pundits come out and talk about how this uh, downgrade doesn't make sense. The timing is off. It's, uh, you know, Treasury Secretary Janet, Janet Yellen came out and said that rating, agents, rating agencies are wrong and basically uh, the ratings are arbitrary and outdated now. So you're seeing a lot of that kind of noise in the market right now. And uh, it, I, I, I suspect that the market's going to have to digest this over the next several days. Uh, but again, it's uh, it's one of those downgrades that, downgrades that I think the timing was kind of uh, was kind of off on this one. So uh, I think that the market itself has digested the news. Um, you know, it's ironically, I think the sell-off that we saw in bonds wasn't completely because of the downgrade, but we did see a sell-off in bonds in the last two days. And I think the downgrade is likely to raise some more questions about some of the blue chip companies that are there. Uh, right now, we have uh, two companies right now that are rated AAA. Uh, and I think it's going to be very important to see if they maintain their AAA rating. Are you able to have a rating that's stronger than the United States government? And uh, we've seen emerging market con uh, countries get downgraded by rating agencies. And most of their highly rated uh, uh, corporate issuers, they were also downgraded subsequently after that. So it's going to be very interesting to see. And then I'm ready to keep an eye on this. So couldn't the U.S. government regime just decide to tax these two companies and kind of use the revenues to kind of pay the bills, for lack of a better term? Uh, they could. And if they did that, I think that, again, the rating agents would probably want to downgrade them because of their, their, <laughs> they're going to be implementing this uh, this cash strategy. So yeah, we have to keep an eye on that. But uh, AAA is not what AAA used to be. Uh, companies used to really strive to get that AAA rating. And I think now companies are operating much more efficiently at, at the lower ratings. Well, unfortunately, the uh, the fiscal authorities, aka Congress, is not asking, uh, not acting with the same amount of responsibility that you just mentioned. So that seems to be the issue of the day. Steve, where do you think this kind of leads to? Well, I mean, the thing that struck me about this was that uh, if you look at the CDS markets, um, this has been forecast for at least since the turn of the year, because if you take a look. There's a handful of other major countries that are AA plus credits. They are Canada, Singapore, New Zealand, Finland, Germany, Austria, the Netherlands, and Denmark. And our CDSs, US CDSs, five year, has been pricing above all of those countries since January. And even now, post downgrade, we're still 10 basis points wider than the worst of any of those countries. So really quickly, explain what a CDS is. Maybe It's credit orders. default swaps. So that is insurance that bond investors take out uh, that pays out only if there's a default by the issue. Um, and there's a whole host of things that, that have to happen for a default to be declared. But you know, given the scare that happened earlier this year with, um, with the U.S. regarding the potential 
for default, um, I think it has shown a pretty bright light on the fact that the situation in DC relative to these other countries that are also AA plus credits is more negative um, and, and, and less stable, right? So um, if that's the case, then we should be no worse than them in terms of where the credit rating is. And frankly, the only reason we had a AAA credit rating is because we can print whatever dollars we need to pay the to pay off the bills. So I, I get what's going on. The market implications are different. Uh, different can be a different question. I mean, an equity and market investors seemed to handle it initially okay, but then we did sell off a little bit more sharply later in the week. Um, but still, you know, I think it was more investors were looking for a reason to sell stocks after a rally that had been persistent for almost four months without a break. Um, and this is just a convenient stopping point, it, which also happens to coincide with the seasonally weak period in the market. So to me, I, I think that's kind of what was the story for this week. Yeah, I think some people are kind of fixated on what this might mean for the U.S. dollar. We've, we've talked about this quite, quite a lot on these conversations. I think that there, you know, I've read a few things that suggest that the dollar's best days are behind it. Um, that might be true at the margin, but I don't think the dollar's going to go away. I mean, I still think it probably remains pretty much the, the world reserve currency of choice. Uh, and you talked about, Steve, how the, the, the U.S. government, frankly, can print its way out of a, of a situation, um, whatever, how you want to find that. But, you know, if you look at ways that we can kind of measure the dollar's relevancy, I mean, I still think it represents, you know, close to 80% of the world's foreign currency transactions, um, you know, all kinds of payment uh, systems are kind of paid to the dollar. And it's still, you know, even though that if you look at the global basket of currencies, the dollar probably used to be, I don't know, 70% of the overall basket. It's now down to, I think, probably about 60, 55, 60%. So it's it's come down a little bit from where it was 20, 25 years or so ago, but it really remains, I think, the world currency of choice. I guess if we kind of think about Things going forward in the second half of this year, uh, Rajiv, the Fed seems like they're kind of, you know, probably on hold for now, uh, based on some of the economic releases in the past few days or so. Do you think that's still the case? Uh, I do think it's still the case, uh, but you know, we're going to have uh, more data to look at. Um, every single strong labor report that we see keeps the Fed back in play, and I think the Fed is not happy with where inflation is right now. They want to get to that two percent point. Uh, are they going to overshoot? Are they going to uh, really try to keep this uh, narrative going that they need to raise rates. Market's discounting that completely. Market market feels that maybe one more rate hike and that's it. Uh, I think the rate cuts that the market is expecting, I think that's going to be the, the volatility factor that we're going to have to deal with because uh, the Fed is not talking about rate cuts at all. But I think that, again, uh, you know, we were talking about the downgrade. Does that really change the Fed's uh, narrative? I don't think it does, but it does add to the growing list of concerns for credit uh, Steven mentioned I, uh, CDS. Uh, I think there's a couple of other factors that are really also going to uh, be important for credit going forward. Uh, we have tighter money now, rising leverage. We have an economic slowdown to think about. And then we have this increased debt issuance as well. So these might all be catalysts for, for credit to start widen, widening. We haven't seen credit wide, wider, wider spreads this year at all. Uh, credit's done extremely well. It's been extremely resilient. But could all of these factors taken together add to some distress? Do we start seeing more default risk in the market? Credit's going to be very important to monitor from where we are here, along with the Fed, as you mentioned. But these are all really, really big concerns, especially when we're looking at the credit markets and we're not seeing any sign of distress, any sign of recession. 
things are so tight right now in credit uh, that you know this these type of catalysts could be a cause for concern and could could start to lead to wider spreads. Sticking with monetary policy, Rajiv, let's talk about the other side of the world where we had some interesting conversations with the Bank of Japan and the Bank of England in terms of their policy. What are your quick thoughts on that? And then we can move on to Steve with the conversation on earnings. Well, you know, Bank of Japan has been uh, the anchor for the world pretty much with their yield, yield curve control program that they started. And they kept yields very low. And I think that's kind of been an anchor for, for the world, really. Uh, that the yields are so low there. You saw a lot of Japanese pension funds, insurance companies leave investing in Japan and they started investing in the US and Europe. Uh, it's very early right now, but yes, Bank of Japan, the Governor Bank of Japan said that they would allow yields to rise. Uh, we've seen that. We've seen yields move up uh, from their artificially low levels that they had set. I see yields start to move up there. The question becomes, do foreign investors say, you know, we're going to take our money out of the U.S. and out of Europe and, and start investing back in Japan? That could be a big, big thing to monitor because obviously flows are very important in our markets. We have foreign investors that are a big part of our, our credit markets right now. It's very early for something like that to happen, but it's something to monitor for sure. Thanks, Rajiv. And Steve, just a couple of closing comments as we get through earnings seasons for the second quarter. Any other observations you're making this week? I know we had a couple of big tech reports, but it's also a constant theme throughout the quarter. Yeah, just a couple highlights. So, you know, we're at 84% of the market cap of the S&P 500 now having reported. So uh, pretty much through earnings season, once we get to the end of this week, um, earnings surprises have, have been very strong. Uh, they're... The, the, 75% of companies have topped expectations. The, the average earnings beat um, is, is over 7%. So you would think that that would generate strong price action following the results. That's not it, not what's happened at all this quarter. And, and I, everybody who, who's heard me talk on these calls knows I focus more on the price action reaction to the earnings numbers than the actual numbers themselves, because it tells you a lot about how the market is perceiving what's going on in, in, in corporate fundamentals. Um, and if you take a look at companies that beat on both revenue and EPS this quarter, they're outperforming the market over the, the, the couple day window surrounding the earnings reporting by 1%. The average move is 1.7%. So companies that double beat are, are performing just a little bit better than half as good as they usually do. Uh, companies that miss on both revenue and EPS are down 2.8%. The average is minus 3.1. So even the companies that are missing aren't getting penalized as much as they usually do. So the reaction this quarter are very, very muted to, to, to earnings season um, in aggregate. Uh, the, the biggest positive for me though, coming out of the earnings season is that guidance has been good enough to get the market uh, analysts and market participants to, to mark up their forward earnings forecast for the S&P 500 by, by a, a good dollar to dollar and a half. And that's broken us out of this consolidated range that we've been in for the last five or six weeks or so for um, the index aggregate earnings for the 500. Um, directionally, that's positive for the market. So even though we've got the market pulling back a little bit this week, earnings are moving higher strongly coming out of earnings season. Um, it's very similar to what happened in March. 
Um, and, and we believe that that'll likely lead to equities following as we move into the deeper into the third quarter and head in toward the end of the year. Well, thanks, Steve. And we'll leave it with George for your final comments and any thoughts that you have to close the podcast today, George. Yeah, Brian, thanks. I mean, I think we've all discussed a lot of these big cross currents that are kind of swirling around right now in the world um, that's going to kind of buffet us in many different directions. So I think our overall stance of just being kind of neutral towards risk makes a lot of sense. I mean, there's there's frankly things that we could probably be excited about you know, on the positive and also maybe some things to be concerned about um, on the medium to longer term. So you know, it, it's hard to really, um, I guess the old set adage is that uh, you, you can't predict, but you can't prepare. And so I think that would probably be one one thing I'd probably close with today. And, you know, we talked about the fact that maybe just revisiting your risk posture. You know, we've seen a good, we've seen a very strong market this year. Not to say we're turning bearish. I mean, as we've talked about here, we don't see the recession called, um, the recession happening this year, uh, but things will slow down at some point. Um, you know, you've got also these issues at the macro level that are going to probably be with us for a while longer. So it seems to me that being neutral towards risk, being opportunist though in, in certain parts of the portfolio makes sense also. Um, and Steve and Rajiv had their ways they can express that in portfolios more specifically. But um, you know, I think that's how I'd probably sum up the, the environment we're in right now. Well, thanks for the conversation today, George, Steve, and Rajiv. We appreciate your insights. And thanks to our listeners for joining us today. Be sure to subscribe to the Key Wealth Matters podcast through your favorite podcast app. As always, Past performance is no guarantee of future results, and we know your financial situation is, of course, personal to you. So reach out to your relationship manager, portfolio strategist, or financial advisor for more information, and we'll catch up with you next week to see how the world and the markets have changed and provide those keys to help you achieve your financial success. The Key Wealth Matters podcast is produced by the Key Wealth Institute. The Key Wealth Institute is comprised of financial professionals representing key entities, including key private bank, key bank institutional advisors, key private client, and key investment services. Any opinions, projections, or recommendations contained herein are subject to change without notice and are not intended as individual investment advice. This material is presented for informational purposes only and should not be construed as individual tax or financial advice. Bank and trust products are provided by Key Bank National Association, a member of FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. Key Private Bank and Key Bank Institutional Advisors are part of Key Bank. Investment products, brokerage, and investment advisory services are offered through Key Investment Services, LLC, or KISS, a member of FINRA, SIPC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Insurance products are offered through Key Corp Insurance Agency, USA Incorporated, or KIA. KISS and KIA are affiliated with Key Bank. Investments and insurance products are not FDIC insured, not being guaranteed, may lose value, not a deposit, not insured by any federal or state government agency. eBank and its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult their personal tax advisor before making any tax-related investment decisions. This content is copyrighted by KeyCorp 2023.